Now, Birdsong, fun and fascinating talk about the top stories in today's headlines. Birdsong may just be the most qualified talk show host in the business, thanks to his many careers in law, government, and education. Here's your host, Leonard Birdsong. Hello, folks. This is Birdsong back with you here on the radio for a little history, observation, and opinion. So glad to be here and so glad you're staying and listening to me. The NAACP has provided some information, it says from 1882 through 1968, 4,743 lynchings occurred in the United States. Of these people that were lynched, 3,446 were black. The blacks lynched accounted for 72% of the people lynched. These numbers seem large, but it's known that not all the lynchings were recorded. Out of the 4,743 people lynched, only 1,297 were white people. That's 27%. Many of the whites lynched were lynched for helping the black people or being anti-lynching and even for some domestic crimes they may have committed. Most of the lynchings took place in the South. A big reason for this was the end of the Civil War. Once black people were given their freedom, many people felt that freed blacks were getting away with too much freedom, and they felt they needed to be controlled. Lynching was a way of doing it. It was terrorism. Mississippi had the highest lynching rate between 1882 and 1968, with 581 lynchings that were recorded. Georgia was second with 531 and Texas was third with 493 lynchings in that period. 79% of all lynchings happened in the South. But not all states lynched people. Some states in the United States never lynched anyone white or black. Those states are Alaska, Rhode Island, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, and Connecticut. There had never been any lynchings in those states between 1882 and 1968. There were some lynchings that didn't apply to blacks. These were basically some Native Americans and people of Hispanic origin. There were lynchings lynchings of these people in Arizona, Idaho, Maine, Nevada, South Dakota, Vermont, Wisconsin. And uh, those are the states where we know that people who were not black were lynched. So why am I talking about lynching and why is all of this interesting or important. Well, it has to do with the fact that we had a race, a runoff election at the end of the midterm elections of 2016 between Cindy Hyde-Smith, who had been appointed sitting uh, senator for Mississippi after Thad Cochran, the, uh, the, the sitting senator, was ill and on his deathbed. She was appointed by the governor in April to take up his seat, and uh, she ran for election at the midterms for a full-term seat. Her opponent was Michael Espy. He was an African-American, is an African-American, who is from Mississippi. He was a four-time congressman in the 1990s under the Clinton, in the Clinton administration. He was also the uh, Secretary of Agriculture under President Clinton. Now, they both had a race. 
It was actually a three-way race. No one got 50% of the vote, and so they had to have a runoff between Espy and Hyde-Smith. Hyde-Smith won. She gets to be in office for two more years, and she'll have to run again in 2020 for a full six-year term. Mike Espy lost. He lost by eight points. It was 56 for, I think, for Miss, uh, 54 for Miss Hyde Smith and 46% for Mike Espy. Now, one of the problems with this race is before the runoff, Miss Hyde Smith said some things that were what you might call off the wall. One of the things she said was a gaffe, obviously. She said to an audience that one of her supporters was someone she admired so much that if he asked her to attend a public hanging, she would be there on the front row right beside him. Now, a public hanging generally is a lynching, the kind of thing that I was talking about. The election and the runoff election between Espy and Hyde-Smith turned out to pit the Old South, marked by pride in the Confederacy and resistance to tearing down monuments commemorating the Civil War, against the New South, which has brought greater legal harmony to that area. But, you know, saying things like a public execution brings back memories that people in Mississippi, a lot of them, don't want to hear. To her opponents, as well as to some lifelong Republicans, her remarks about a public hanging have rekindled or did rekindle images of the state that most want to leave behind. They don't want to talk about lynchings in the past. She was also caught on video saying it would be fine to suppress liberal college students from voting. She later said that was a joke. Mr. Espy said in a debate that they had that her statements about college students voting and about public hanging gave Mississippi a black eye and rejuvenated old stereotypes. He went on to say we can't afford a senator who embarrasses us and reinforces the stereotypes who worked so hard to overcome the past. In the aftermath of these comments, Ms. Hyde-Smith virtually disappeared from the campaign trail, rarely holding public events and avoiding press conferences altogether. The Monday before the runoff, President Trump went down to Mississippi and held not one but two, not one but two, rallies for her. He dragged her across the finish line. She is now the senator-elect from Mississippi. She is the first woman senator in the Congress of the United States from Mississippi. Now, again, I don't think she was the best candidate that they could bring out, but she is what we have. But to me, what I saw of her, she didn't seem to have the mettle to be a Senate in the United States. There was a debate between her and Mike Espy. Mike Espy is well-trained. He is a 
college graduate, went to Howard University, has a law degree from Santa Clara University, has been a congressman for four terms, and was Secretary of Agriculture. At their one debate that they had before the runoff election, Ms. Hyde-Smith refused to debate unless there was no audience, as she was afraid of getting booed, she said. She also demanded to see all questions in advance. She refused to allow any media to ask questions, and any questions from ESPY had to be given to her in advance and only delivered through the moderator. Now, this is not what a debate is about. She also demanded that the notepad on her lectern be given to her two hours in advance so that she could write out every single word she said that night. She also demanded that she be allowed to have binders and notebooks with her on the stage. That's usually not done in a debate. After the debate, she gave a short statement and then ran away. Mr. Espy did stay and answer questions, but the race is over now. So let me tell you about this lynching thing. It goes a little bit deeper. Where does the term lynching come from? Most people don't know. Many people just think of it as a hanging. But let me educate you. The term Lynch's Law originally originated during the American Revolution when a fellow by the name of Charles Lynch, a a Virginia Justice of the Peace, ordered extra extra legal punishment for loyalists to the King of England. They were hanged. Now, this was before the Civil War, of course. But uh, after the Civil War in the United States, members of the abolitionist movement and other people opposing slavery were sometimes targets of lynch mobs. Now, let me be clear here. Lynching is the practice of murder by a group of extrajudicial actors, not a court, not a judicial hearing. It's a group or a mob that decides that they are going to practice murder for some kind of affront to the community. As I said earlier, these lynchings started after the Civil War and went on to a height in the 1920s, and then sort of tapered off. Most lynchings were of African-American men in the South, but women were also lynched. White lynchings of blacks occurred in Midwestern and border states, and particularly during the great migration of blacks from the South. Some people say that the reason for this lynching was to enforce white supremacy and to intimidate blacks by racial terrorism. The stereotype of lynching is a hanging, because hangings are what crowds of people saw. They're easy to photograph. Some hangings were professionally photographed and sold as postcards. They were popular souvenirs in some parts of the South. But victims were also killed by mobs in a variety of other ways, shot repeatedly, burned alive, forced to jump off a bridge, dragged behind cars, things like that. Sometimes they were tortured, their body parts cut off, and then hanged by the neck after they were dead. So lynching 
was an awful way of intimidating people. Some people say that a major motive for lynching was white society's efforts to maintain white supremacy after emancipation. Out of this grew the Jim Crow laws, which I've talked about on this program earlier. Also, economic competition was another major factor. Independent black farmers or businessmen were sometimes lynched or suffered destruction of their property. In the Deep South, the number of lynchings was higher in areas with a concentration of blacks dependent on cotton at a time of low cotton prices, raising inflation. Whites sometimes lynched blacks for financial gain and sometimes to establish political or economic dominance. These lynchings emphasized the new social order constructed under Jim Crow. Whites acted together, reinforcing their, reinforcing their collective identity, along with the unequal status of black people that these white people believed. Awful. Glad that it's over. Although they say that there were some 500 and some lynchings in Mississippi, the exact number is not known, but it hasn't, it hasn't been recorded. But we know that it was a bad thing. We hope that Miss Hyde Smith will be a good senator, although I have my own doubts, but I will wish her well. She did win the election. But let me just segue here, or segue, to tell you a little bit about the first and really only senator from Mississippi who was an African-American. His name was Hiram Rhodes Revels. He was a one-time barber and a former Union Army chaplain. He came to Washington, D.C. in 1870, and uh, after a remarkable period of what historians call the biracial democracy in Reconstruction Deep South, he made some gains. However, the backlash to him was rather short. Revels was a firstborn, or rather a freeborn native of Carolina. He was of mixed African and European heritage. After working briefly as a barber, he was educated in Quaker schools and later at Knox College in Illinois. He became a minister in the African-American Methodist Episcopal Church and served as a teacher and preacher at churches throughout the South and Midwest. He worked in St. Louis, according to his congressional biography. He also was a man of strategic restraint that would serve him well in politics. During the Civil War, Revels helped recruit black troops from Maryland and served as their chaplain. He organized schools for newly emancipated slaves. After the Civil War, he led churches in Mississippi and his efforts to generate educational opportunities for former slaves attracted attention of Republican Party officials eager to recruit black candidates. So at the time, 
U.S. senators were not elected by the people but by state legislatures. The 17th Amendment changed that 30 years later. But Mississippi's legislature elected by both races were sworn in just in time to carry out filling the two Mississippi senator seats who had left office during the Civil War. One of those was the Confederate president, Jefferson Davis. A deal was struck to select one black senator and one white senator. In 1870, Revels was elected to the office with just a year remaining in the term. He was not just the first African member of the U.S. Senate, but also the first to serve in either House of Congress. Revel's Senate career was brief and moderate. He advocated both for Negro representation and universal Confederate amnesty. A year later, not seeking a full term, he returned to Mississippi and became president of Elkhorn State University, a historically black land-grant institution that is still in business. Mississippi would elect one other Reconstruction-era African senator. His name was Blanche Bruce, who served a one-year term up to 1875, but things were growing against black representation, and the Ku Klux Klan was born, and it became a period of terrorism. Black politicians were risking their life. As a matter of fact, after the election in 1875, there was violence and mob-fueled white political dominance of post-Civil War era redemption. Matter of fact, there was a newly elected African-American congressperson who was assassinated in front of a courthouse. That's a grim history. This is why we want the New South and not the Confederacy. But right now, the people in Mississippi have given their votes, said who they want. They want the old Confederacy type person. Miss Hyde Smith is dressed up in Civil War regalia and had pictures posted on the Internet. So we wish her well. This is birdsong. This is history you might not want to hear. Lynching is murder. Extra judicial murder. No courts, only mobs. There was too much of it. Let's hope it never happens again. Stay tuned. There's more to come. Hello, folks. This is Birdsong back with you. We talked a little bit about that last election in the 2016 midterms. That was between Cindy Hyde-Smith and Mike Espy down in Mississippi. We talked about lynching and the statement that Miss Hyde-Smith said about that, and I gave you a little history. Today we're going to talk about now incivility. Joffrey McClune talks about incivility being out of control. She says we're just acting ruder and ruder, and we want to hear something about how she might 
do away with some of this. Joffrey is a spiritual slice, spiritual, personal growth author, motivational speaker, and common sense advocate. She has started her career in New York City, where she acted and produced several off-Broadway productions. She's an avid student of spiritual literature and techniques since the early 1980s. Joffrey, this is Birdsong. How are you? I'm doing great, Birdsong. How are you doing? Doing fine. I'm glad I could get you on the line here. We uh, want to talk about incivility. We've talked a little bit offline, and you say it's on the rise, and I agree with you. <laughs> what can we? What can we do about it? Well, first of all, let me just say, what do you mean by incivility? Let's let's get the the the, the words right here. Well, incivility is really that sense of lack of common sense, making judgments from a place of powerlessness. When you feel powerless, victimhood, angry, you're making you're making calls out of really trying to get a sense of power back. But when yeah. you're in your common sense place, and common sense is simply defined in the dictionary song as good judgment. When you're making commonsensical decisions, you're making decisions that make life easier and better for you by making good judgment calls. I mean, that makes sense. Then as society, we have kind of a shared common sense that we share to make life easier and better for all concerned. Sort of more of a win-win mentality, or let's use your word, a diplomatic mentality. But when the predominant energy is one of anger, victimhood, powerlessness, Good judgment just goes out the window. Win and lose mentality takes over. You know what I'm saying, Birdsong? Needing to be right. Do you think it's the times or the personalities that are leading us to be more incivil or uncivil <laughs> in our society? Well, I hear you. exactly what you're saying. It's easy to blame the, the characters, so to speak. But really, they're just mirrors for us is the way I look at it. You would not have these characters in our faces if they weren't sending us some messages, some deeper messages. So these characters, the timing, it's all important because we do need to make good judgment calls in our lives. It's much easier to do. I mean, I, uh, for instance, five quick things anybody can do to make life a little bit easier, a little less ruder than, than, than it is at the moment. Number one, bird song. If you can't say something nice, don't say anything. Not everyone <laughs> needs to hear your opinion. Uh, Not everyone cares what I've you heard think. The, I've heard that one before. <laughs> I've heard it when I was young. We sort of threw it out the window. I say, let's bring that back a little bit. Number two, don't be a busybody. If someone is sleeping in the college lounge or grilling burgers, you don't need to call the cops. Mainly, this is for white folks. <laughs> no one is in danger. So oh, that's like that story out of uh, somewhere in Texas where the Barbecue Becky called up the police because there are some black people barbecuing in the park. <laughs> oh, that was some. And then somebody called. Somebody was selling water outside of her, her bedroom window. Uh, she was bothering her while she was studying. It just mind your own business, people. Basically, mind your own business. Number three, think before you speak. Not every thought you need that you have needs to be spoken. In fact, very few do. So think before you speak. If we take 10 seconds to think before we speak, so many of our problems would go away. They really would. Number four, stop saying, I know what you're thinking. You don't. You cannot read minds. And if you can, then you're in the wrong profession. You don't know what I'm thinking. You don't know what, what that I'm thinking something horrible about you. You really don't know. Maybe I'm thinking about what I'm going to have for dinner later. 
stop saying you know what you're thinking because that's not true. And number five, you don't need to raise your voice in the public. That's another thing we were all taught, right, Birdsong? When you were little, that, you don't need to talk that's out for loud sure. in public. That's for sure. Your, really, we don't need to hear your phone conversation. You're just not that interesting, frankly. And you know, go home and write a letter to your customer service rather than yelling about it on the phone. And right. then the bonus little tip for this. And again, these are all things that we learned. They're so simple. They take us out of that ugly American syndrome and put us back into being really generous, kind human beings. It's never discussed finance, politics, and religion. You keep those three things to yourself. Life is going to be a lot easier for everybody. No one needs to know what you made that year, how big your bonus was, how your stocks are doing. Religion, I say walk it. You don't need to talk it. <laughs> and as far as, you know what I'm saying, really. I love that. Well, yeah. let me ask you this. You come up with some very good points here. What does self-love have to do with our lack of civility? I'd never thought about it in these terms, our lack of self-love. Can you explain that? Yes, I can. <laughs> that is my passion is self-love. All those wonderful tendencies of, of self-love, compassion, self-acceptance, self-nurturing. Self-love, the basis of good judgment, the number one thing that most people need to do on this planet is to practice more self-love. Because when you practice self-love, then you're not in looking for your power outside of yourself. You don't need to berate somebody because you're grilling burgers next to your window or whatever they're doing. You don't need to find your, your power over someone else losing and you winning. Because you're getting your own self-love from inside of yourself versus outside of yourself. For example, a great little test I give people when I do talks and, and whatnot, I would say, here's a great, great way to see, you know, if you need certain areas that you might need to grow in self-love. When you make a mistake or stumble, do you berate yourself? Right. Well, most, some people say, yeah, I do. I really berate myself. I'm horrible about it. I, I get so mad at myself. Well, you need to practice self-compassion. Do you criticize yourself, your flaws or your weaknesses? Okay. You criticize so yourself, you but you don't tear yourself down, do you? Well, criticizing is that's, that's I would say it, you can accept acceptance is what you want to practice. Hey, I've got some flaws and weaknesses. They're part of my whole beingness. They don't define me, and they don't they don't they don't harm me either. They're just part of my whole beingness. That's self acceptance versus criticizing yourself for having flaws or weaknesses. Yeah, well, you we, know, this incivility on the on the on the rise also gets to me in that we've got. People in the United States, young men who want to be neo-Nazis. And I can't understand why anyone would be, want to be associated with the Nazis. They were mass killers. I know, <laughs> Do I these know people not is. love each other? Love themselves, well, they rather? They don't love themselves. And there was a great guy and he does a lot of talks around the country and he wasn't a neo-Nazi. And he came out of it and I asked him, well, how did you get out of it? And, of course, the reason he went into it, he said, I didn't love myself, and I needed to feel connected to something. I didn't have a father in my life, and I felt on my own. So suddenly I found this group, and I could be connected. Same thing with, with gangs. Same reason people join gangs. They feel connected to something. They're disconnected. They haven't been taught how to love themselves enough. But what's interesting, they asked him how he got out of it. He said, well, I was where I worked was a, 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 woman, a gay woman worked there. And she was nothing but kind to me. And she knew exactly mm -hmm. who I was. Eventually, I thought, what am I doing? What am I doing? And it woke him up. And now he goes around talking to neo-Nazis, trying to bring them out of their self-hatred. Because, again, that's self-hatred. 
again, when you feel powerless, when you feel powerless with yourself, that you're not getting what you think you deserve, that the universe is ignoring you, you don't matter, the many, many ways that we all say it to ourselves, you're going to look for it some way. Well, I think you make some very good points here. I really want to thank you for coming on. I hope our listeners will take to heart what you say about self-love in daily life, and I hope these neo-Nazis will wake up and smell the coffee. Don't be a mass murderer. (laughs) This is Birdsong. Thank you so much, Joffrey. We'll have you on again, okay? All right, hon. Have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. This is Birdsong. We just finished talking with Joffrey McClung and uh, had a nice little interview there on a little talk about incivility. Is it killing us? Probably yes. This is Birdsong. Stick with me. There's more to come. Hello, folks. Back with you. This is Birdsong. We've got more to talk about here today. We've talked about lynchings. We've talked about the rise of incivility. Let's now talk about some news tidbits. These are real stories in the news that you probably haven't heard, but Birdsong finds them for you. The first story has a headline that says, Romance is pandemonium. They sing before sex. Some people think Elvis sang the sweetest love songs, but new research shows he had nothing on the average panda. The bamboo-loving bears are among the animal kingdom's most romantic crooners. They are much more likely to have sex if they sing the right notes into their partner's ears, according to British researchers. Musical calls between mating bears are crucial for achieving behavioral synchrony, synchrony, rather, and signaling intention to mate in giant pandas. The London-based Royal Society for Open Science tells us all of this. Bet you didn't know that. Pandas are great singers, particularly when they mate. Another story, this one comes from Colombia. The headline, This Colombian nun really changed her habits. Her name, Yudi Pineda of Antioquia, who spent eight years in a convent, switched careers to become a porn star. Pineda said she left the pious life when she fell in love with a teacher. She later met a man who was recruiting models for his adult webcam company. Still, she says she never misses Sunday Mass. (laughs) How about that? Our next story, headline, Allergies, Bronchitis. Let's start that again. Allergies? Bronchitis? No, a brain leak. A North Carolina man figured the runny nose he had for over a year was just a bad case of allergies, until a New York doctor told him he was actually suffering from a leak in his brain. Local doctors thought it was bronchitis or pneumonia. His name, Greg Philpotts. He told a TV station that um, he wound up at Mount Si Hospital in Manhattan, where a doctor diagnosed him with a dangerous cerebral spinal fluid leak in the tissue between the brain and the sinuses. Doctors used a flap of tissue from Phil Flott's own body to fix uh, the problem. No more leaking. 
How about that? How about this story, folks? God hearing driver jailed, says the headline. God hearing driver jailed. A Florida driver who said God had distracted her when she ran over and killed a woman in 2015 has been sentenced to 32 years in prison. Her name, Don Thomason, 46, of Key West, Florida, was sentenced uh, this month in February and November. A jury had convicted her in September of vehicular manslaughter in the death of Stephanie Collins, 49, who was walking on the sidewalk with a friend when struck by Tomlinson's Mercedes-Benz. Tomlinson pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity, blaming the crash on a Xanax withdrawal and God talking to her while she was driving. Now I've heard them all. <laughs> God-hearing driver jailed. Isn't that something? Here's another news tidbit you may not have heard. America's witch population is brooming, says the headline. The number of people in the United States who practice Wiccan religion rituals has increased from 8,000 to 1.5 million since 1990, according to Trinity College. The increase may be caused by millennials rejecting Christianity and embracing spiritual practices such as tarot cards. <laughs> Not good. Not good at all. Our next story, seaplane pilot crashes and hitchhikes home. The pilot of an ultra-light seaplane that crashed into a southern Wisconsin lake slammed to shore and hitched a ride home without bothering to tell anyone because he didn't think it was a big deal. Kenosha County Sheriff David Beth says a woman walking her dog saw the wreckage in Camp Lake on a Monday and fire and rescue units from Salem Lakes, Bristol and Summers, along with the county dive team, responded to look for a possible victim. Officials were able to track down the pilot at his home in Antioch, Illinois. Other than being cold and wet, he said he was fine. Seaplane pilot crashes, hitchhikes home. My, my, my. <laughs> All right. I don't know if any of you have ever been to Barcelona. I have been there a couple of times. Great place. We learn in this story that construction has been going on at Barcelona's Sagrada Familia Basilica for over 130 years. But builders have only recently secured a permit. The iconic cathedral agreed to pay $40 million to authorities for the first 136 years spent trying to finish Spanish architect Antonio Gaudi's design without the proper building permit. The UNESCO World Heritage Site is finally due to be completed in 2026, exactly 100 years after the death of the architect. It's quite a place. I've been to that cathedral. Glad they're getting a permit. <laughs> Here's a story. Scientists took organ transplants to new heights with the world's first drone delivery kidney, says the headline. Researchers from the University of Maryland sent the organs soaring in a refrigerated box between hospitals in Baltimore. It zipped up to 42 miles per hour, potentially faster than an ambulance, for three miles and arrived in good shape. 
organ transplants with drone delivery. Isn't that something? All right, here's our last news tidbit for this month. The headline, Stinkers Stole Toilets. Stinkers Stole Toilets. Portable toilets don't just get up and walk away, says the news. Two men in Germany have been convicted of stealing more than 100 portable toilets. The DPA news agency reported that Dusseldorf District Court delivered its verdict a few days ago, giving a 40-year-old man a 10-month suspended sentence and a 28-year-old man six months suspended sentence. Both men worked for Waste Disposal Company or for a waste disposal company whose premises the toilets were worth $79,700, gradually disappeared. The men who have lost their jobs admitted to selling the toilets to a company in the Netherlands. Only three of the missing toilets have ever resurfaced. Only three of the missing toilets have resurfaced. Stinkers stole toilets. (laughs) That's news, I tell you. (laughs) All right. That's our news tidbits. How about some riddles? They're easy. I'll give you the answers if you can't figure them out at the end of the show. First riddle. Why do birds sing? Why do birds sing? Think about it. Second riddle. Did you hear about the claustrophobic astronaut? Did you hear about the claustrophobic astronaut? Finally, where can you find the meaning of life? Where is the best place to find the meaning of life? Those are our three riddles for the day. This is Birdsong. I'll be back with you for some new information and news in just a moment. Stick with us. Okay, folks, I'm back with you. This is Birdsong. Glad you've been listening. Hope you've learned some things today, and maybe you've even had a little fun with some of the news tidbits and the riddles. What I want to do now is give you a very short Paul Harvey story. Paul Harvey wrote several books during his brilliant broadcasting career. His last book is called For What It's Worth. These are a bunch of short stories that had been sent to him over the years that he put in a book. Today's story came from a fellow in Palmetto, Georgia, and he wrote this to Paul Harvey. Paul Harvey read it on the radio. The story is about a local fledgling lawyer who was sitting in his new office waiting for his first client. When he heard the outer door open, he quickly tried to sound very busy. As the man entered the office, the young lawyer is on the telephone saying, quote, Bill, I'm flying to New York on the Mitchell Brothers thing. It looks like it's going to be a biggie. Also, we need to bring Carl in from Houston on the Cimarron case. Oh, by the way, Al Cunningham and Pete Finch want to come in with me as partners. Bill, you'll have to excuse me. Someone just came in. He hung up. He then turned to the man who had just entered. The young lawyer said, Now, sir, how can I help you? The man said, I'm here to hook up the phone. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, gosh, it meant something. <laughs> All right. Are you ready for the riddles? I told you they were easy. The first riddle, why do birds sing? Why do birds sing? Have you figured that out? Well, they sing because they don't know how to talk. <laughs> Second riddle, did you hear about the claustrophobic astronaut? Did you hear about the claustrophobic astronaut? No? Well, he just needed a little space. <laughs> How about that? Finally, where can you find the meaning of life? Where can you find the meaning of life? Well, if you go to page 689 of your dictionary, you'll find the meaning of life. <laughs> All right, folks, I always leave you with a thought for the week. Here it comes. It's about goals, G-O-A-L-S, goals. There's no telling what you can do when you get inspired by them. There's no telling what you can do when you believe in them. There's no telling what will happen when you act upon them. Goals. Keep that in mind for this week. This is Birdsong. It's been great being with you. I will talk to you next week. Signing off. Arrivederci. Bye-bye.